Our scripture reading for today is found in Proverbs chapter 30, and we'll be looking at uh, these few verses starting at verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. So far, the reading of God's word. You may wonder what this is all about. Four animals. Maybe I should have did, I was going to call this God bugs us, but they're not all bugs. But maybe he's going to bug us a little bit today with an ant. I'm going to start a new series, one that I've been looking forward to for a fairly long time. Uh, the messages in this series uh, will be taken from uh, a little four-verse section in the book of Proverbs where Solomon says these things. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Now, when I read scripture and I read stuff like that, the question I always, almost always ask is that old Lutheran question. What does this mean? I mean, what does God have to teach us today? What does he have to teach us about wisdom? And particularly, what can we learn from something that more often than not, we either spray them to death or stomp them to death, or when we little kids use magnifying glasses to see whether we could start one on fire? Though probably none of you ever tried that. But here, okay, I see a few people who did. And Solomon uh, lists four creatures. He talks about the ant. He talks about the hyrax, which is also called the rock badger. We'll come to him a little bit later. The locust and the lizard. Now, with the exception of the hyrax, which is indigenous to the Middle East and the lands where Jesus lived, all three of these other creatures you could probably find in your backyard or in your garden. And Solomon says that each one of these has something unique to teach us about a certain brand of wisdom. And I'm going to call it godly wisdom, since this comes from Scripture, biblical wisdom, something we can learn from them. So in these next four weeks, we're going to explore this unique brand of godly biblical wisdom that comes from four very small little animals and see if we can take some steps to live our lives with a little bit more wisdom. Today, we're going to look at verse 25, where it says ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Now, contrary to what you like to do with ants, for the most part, ants are pretty fascinating creatures. You know, more often than not, we see them as a nuisance. Uh, you never hear anybody go, oh, boy, we got ants in the house. Finally, you don't hardly ever hear that. Uh, we usually just snuff them out without a second thought. Now, I'm not re- I'm not recommending to any of you that you let ants grow wild in your house. Uh, but the next time you see one. Why not stop for a moment and just think for a moment how brilliant this little animal really is. For example, ants carry 50 times their body weight in their jaws. Just imagine how much barbecue some of you could put away if you were like an ant. Ant colonies can spread for thousands of miles. I mean, they're just all underground. There they are. There's also some entomological evidence that ants have, u- that have used, 
evidence that ants have used farming techniques longer than human beings. Actually, if you were to, uh, there are also 1.5 million ants for every human on Earth. If you wonder, like, where did all the little buggers come from? But one other thing, I didn't put it up here, is that if you were to take the total weight, they say, I don't know who does this stuff, but if you were to take the total weight of all the humans on Earth and the total weight of all the ants on Earth, the ants would weigh more. And that just tells you how many of those little pesky dudes we got out there. Now, most people, like I say, view ants as some sort of an irritation. Solomon sees them as a source of wisdom. And what he, what he does tell us about the ant, well, it's this. He said, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Now, by the way, if you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, this is not the very first time that Solomon uh, referenced ants. He actually gave him another shout out in Proverbs chapter 6. When he said, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Also good advice. Now, Solomon, what he's saying is that the the ant is the master of preparation. It knows how to get ready. But knowing how to get ready is really not the wisdom part. Now, we know, for example, that Jesus is going to come back someday. Knowing that he's going to come back is not all there is to it. Not everybody actually knows how to get ready. What makes ants so wise is that they actually do get ready. They don't wait till the last minute. They don't try to put it off or whatever. They take the necessary steps to be prepared for whatever might be coming their way later. Well, unfortunately, not all of us are the kind of people who prepare in advance. Our grandson works for a large company that has about $300 billion worth of assets. And he deals with people from time to time who are looking to draw off of their annuities. And he's told me that there have been a few people who said, okay, I know I've got money with you. I want to start taking my monthly stipend off of that. How much would that be? Because this is going to be my retirement. And Josh has checked it out. And he said, well, we'll be mailing you out a check for like $3.85 a month. And he said, people will kind of go, what? You know, they had not stored up nearly what they thought for the winter. Why? Well, they just didn't get around to it. Roadblocks. In my life and in the lives of people I've worked with, I've observed some common obstacles and hindrances to preparation. One of these is what I call preparation equals a lack of faith. Um, I have heard this in church work in my 30-some years, and those who lead that they say sometimes that too much preparation uh, indicates a lack of faith in God. Isn't that odd? You know, if we prepare too much, we're not really trusting God. I've actually been on one or two mission trips where the leaders seem to have that same general idea. It was kind of like, well, we're just going to trust that God will, won't uh, let this problem come up. Uh, I believe God is in this trip, so we're going to let God work out all the details. Well, that would be kind of like an ant colony collectively saying, we know the winter will be here in a couple of months, but let's just trust God that this winter will look like spring this year. 
Now, I have a friend, maybe you have this on your desk too, but I, I've seen this in a couple of offices, uh, that says, lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. I saw that at the place where I had my oil changed last week. Now, what's that guy saying? You know, don't come running in at the last minute. You know, th- it's not an emergency to me because I've made plans to do X number of things. Now, I believe God would say the same thing to you and me. Uh, his involvement in our lives. And let's understand, God is involved in everything that we do or say. His involvement in terms of his leadership in our lives, uh, his guidance, his protection, is not intended to eliminate our need to do our part in taking responsibility with what he has given us to do. Can you imagine if in the search for a pastor for this church, we would just say, oh, let's just wait until God sends one here. I mean, sooner or later, if we wait long enough, some pastor is going to pull up on a Sunday morning and say, hey, you want a new pastor? Now, you would say, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, there's a second roadblock, and it's, and it's this. It's always playing catch-up. You know, there are some people who are always in a crisis mode. There are some churches that are always in a crisis mode. Schools are always in a crisis mode. They're struggling to fill in the gaps left over from yesterday. And it's all but impossible uh, to prepare for tomorrow. Uh, a book I read not long ago by John Maxwell uh, is called Today Matters. He talks about the difference between repairing your day and preparing your day. Let me give you a few examples from this book. He said, when you're repairing, you're focused on cleaning up yesterday's mess. When you're preparing, you're focused on getting ready for tomorrow's blessings. When you're repairing, you're always paying yesterday's bills. When you're preparing, you're financing tomorrow's dreams. When you're repairing, you're struggling to stay afloat. When you're preparing, you're getting set to sail. A big difference between always being behind. And instead, being out there in front and looking for what it is God has in store. Now, I, I know people, you know people like this, who say, yeah, yeah, okay, Pastor, I, I get it, I get it. I should be preparing, not repairing. Uh, but I'm in over my head right now. I, I'm late on every project. I'm behind on every bill. Uh, I see nothing but long-term repairing in my future. How do I make a transition from being fully prepared, a transition to being fully prepared in everything? Well, as far as I know, the only way to get out of the state of always repairing to the state of always preparing is to start preparing now as much as you can, even while you're scrambling. Now, I know people who spent their entire lives or most of their entire lives in financial turmoil, always repairing, always paying for yesterday, never able to get ahead. But when they finally, like the prodigal son, come to their senses and they decide to create some stability, they begin to do two things consistently. Now, I'm going to get to that in a moment. I'm going to take you back to about 25 years ago. I had a couple come in, young couple, middle to late 30s. And they came in and were basically wanting to apologize to me because they didn't think that they were contributing as much financially to the church as they should. And the reason was because they just didn't seem to have any money left over. I mean, they were giving what I sometimes refer to as the Lutheran tithe, $10 a week. You know, they got the 10 part right. They just haven't got the percentage right. 
Uh, although $10 a week could be a tithe if you only made 100 a week, I guess. But I said, let's do something. And, and both of them were, were well employed. And so we wrote down how much he made and how much she made and added it together. It was a significant amount of money. We began to talk about what they spent that money on. I mean, they owned a brand new house that they were paying a sizable mortgage on. They also had a vacation home up in Wisconsin. They had uh, a boat and a pontoon boat up at the lake in Wisconsin. Uh, they had trailers. Uh, they each had a couple of very nice cars. And, you know, it just went on and on. And you look down at the bottom, and I, I finally said, I can't even believe that you guys can come up with $10 a week. You, you just basically got yourself in upside down. And it's like, well, what are we going to do? And this was, I think, one of the first couples that I have ever said, give me all your credit cards. Give me all your credit cards. You're going to deal cash from now on. And they were rather reluctant to do that. And I said, and the second thing I want you to do is based on your total income here, which was this amount of money, I want you to start tithing every week. And they literally shuddered. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. I go, yeah, that is. I said, but here's the deal. You write that check out every Sunday morning or Saturday night, and you put it in the envelope. But when the plates come by, do not put it in the plate. Hand it to me at the door. And if I do not hear from you by the middle of the week, I will put it in the appropriate place that will be deposited. Now, they started doing that. And I don't know, three or four or five months went by, and one day the guy came up to me and he said, we put it in the plate today. Now, what I'm saying is that people who have come to their senses sometimes in planning have created to some stabilities, have started doing a couple of different things. One of them was starting to save some money by not charging everything. And the other one, interestingly enough, is called tithing. That's a word you don't, a lot of pastors don't preach about tithing, do they? You, you want to know why I think that is? It's because they don't. That's just my thought. That didn't fall off of Mount Sinai. That's just my weird, my weird thinking. But even when bills were facing them, even when collectors were calling every day, they chose to start preparing for the future. See, in the midst of the turmoil, they got in the habit of preparing for tomorrow. And guess what? They ended up with more financial peace than they'd ever experienced before in their lives. Well, there's another roadblock sometimes, and that's the well-intentioned, ill-conceived influence of other people. I mean, there will be other people who will try to talk you out of being prepared to enjoy God's blessings. I mean, even well-meaning people, I've had a company that said, you don't need to worry about that now. I mean, you've got six months to worry about that. I mean, aren't there more important things for you to do today? Or they'll say, hey, the sun is shining today. Go out and enjoy yourself. Go play a little golf or whatever. I mean, sometimes they even misapply scripture and they tell you, oh, let tomorrow take care of itself. Live for today. Now, uh, you probably heard me say often enough in almost a year now that I'm all for living for today. I'm, I'm in for having a good time and enjoying. But the Bible teaches that plainly that today matters. I mean, even when it says today could be the day of your salvation. Today matters. But we need to keep in mind that the way that you make the most of it uh, is, uh, 
is by preparing. And the way you live the day to each fullest is to invest at least part of each day in preparing yourself for tomorrow. So with that being said, you know, how are we going to be doing that? What are we preparing for? Well, we're preparing for the winter. And uh, we need to prepare for some challenges in life. Uh, We prepare for the winter. These are life's challenges. We need to prepare for the harvest. We need to prepare for God's blessings. Now, the ant prepares all summer long for winter months. He knows that there will always be lean times ahead. Now, when lean times come, guess what? He's prepared. I find this sometimes that Christians have a hard time accepting that because they somehow think that as a Christian, life is going to be kind of a perpetual picnic, that some of this stuff will never, ever happen to them. Have you ever visited anybody in a hospital who just seemed totally dumbfounded that they had the heart attack or they had a stroke or that this happened to them? I just like, what happened? I just never expected this. And or like a loved one dies and they, they're totally blown out of the water. They don't even begin to know how to handle that situation. Why? Because they've not prepared themselves in advance for those winter times. Winter comes, death in the family, illness, loss of jobs, and sometimes it knocks them completely off their feet. But, it's, but friends, it's a matter of life, whether you're a Christian or not, that there will always be a certain amount of winters to endure. I mean, your kids may be healthy in every way, but guess what? They get sick. Your job, which may seem very secure now, could get shaky pretty easily. Uh, There are unexpected increases in expenses and unexpected decreases in income. uh, Conflicts you you didn't create. Storms uh, that seemingly showed up out of nowhere. Uh, that's true in your family. It's true in your finances, with your friendships, your business, your health, in your church, in your spiritual life. Now, I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom sort of guy here. When I say winter is coming, maybe I'm more of a meteorologist. I'm just telling you what the ant already knows. The wisdom that God put in a book so we would see it someday. There's a season ahead of your life where, believe it or not, it may be 103 degrees a day, but it's going to be cold at some point over the winter. It's going to come. Whether you know, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get... Northern Minnesota cold, but it's going to be cold. You're going to say, oh, my gosh, I didn't believe it ever got cold in Texas. But there's a season where everything gets cold and everything is not going to be green for a while. And you need to know how to handle this. Now, handle what? Well, financially, I mean, obviously, what do you do? You prepare ahead. Um, Relationships, even the best families, the best marriages go through conflict. And, And one of the best ways to prepare for that is to make sure you maximize the good times, create roots and relationships centered around God and his word. I mean, spiritually, we all need to prepare ourselves spiritually. There are going to be times when you don't really, I don't know, don't, you really don't feel God's presence in your life. There are going to be times when God seems absolutely silent in your life. Uh, times when answers don't seem to be coming regularly. Uh, times when, when God allows certain things to happen that you just plain simple don't understand. I'd say it's it's not a question of if that stuff will happen. It's when it will happen. And for this reason, during the days of our spiritual summer, when things are going really well, 
when everything is blooming and the, you know, the bees are buzzing and the blooms or blossoms are blooming or whatever they do, when the crops are growing or whatever, we need to prepare for those months ahead. Now the question is, how do we do it? Well, here's the spiritual answer to the question. If you, you drive your spiritual roots deep. I was up in Illinois about, uh, what was it, about two or three weeks back. And when I turned off the highway, I kind of cut through to get to where I wanted to go and meet some former students of mine. And you drive between, drive down what seems like a, a tunnel of corn. And the corn is really, really high in Illinois right now. It looks like it's going to be a phenomenal harvest. They had lots and lots of rain in the spring, and it's been wonderful weather. But I've never met a farmer who is totally optimistic. I hate to say that. You know, they're always, yeah, well, yeah, but I did comment to somebody. I said, well, the corn looks really, really good. He said, well, yeah, it looks good, but uh, all that rain early and so much water and everything, the roots didn't really run down very deep, and all it would take would be one big wind, and it would all be laying on the ground. Now, he's probably right. So we don't want a big windstorm in northern Illinois or any place else where crops could be damaged. But I'm just saying, your spiritual roots need to grow deep. I mean, there is such a thing called shallow Christianity, you know, where everything is about a, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. We know, we say, we know just enough. I, I've had a person who's already told me, well, as long as I believe in Jesus, what else do I need to know? Well, granted, you know Jesus, but so does Satan. Uh, you believe in him, okay, so does Satan. But, yeah, okay, Jesus is the answer. But what does Jesus ask you to do? Grow deep in me. Know me. Grow in me. Find out more about me. Let's become better and better friends. Uh, you make sure that you spend time in his presence every day of your life. In the summertime, so that when the winter comes, you're ready but you're preparing for life's problems is not all there is. We also prepare for God's blessings. Have you ever thought about that? We're getting ourselves ready for his blessings. Solomon said the ant stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. Now, we need to remember that life consists of one harvest after another. Now, the harvest sometimes, I've thought about it personal evangelism. I've thought about it in terms of being a farmer. That uh, sometimes you have a field. When the first job you need to do is get all the stumps out of the field or all of the boulders out of the field. And after you get that, you've got to plow that field. And after you plow that field, you're, you're able to finally break enough ground that you go out and plant. And after you plant, you may go out and you may fertilize that field. And there will come a time, periodically, after you fertilize, you have to go out and pull some weeds out of that field. But then sooner or later, you're going to get a harvest out of that. And I think about how that is when we share Jesus with people. Do you all know some people whose lives are full of stumps and rocks? And you feel like you've been beating your head against their lives forever? Guess what? Maybe you're the person who's just going to clear that field so that somebody else can come and plow. And maybe you've, maybe you've actually plowed through somebody's life already. You're just going to mowed right through their lives and expose all kinds of fresh dirt. Maybe you've been able to plant seeds. Maybe you've actually fertilized them. Maybe you've gone and jerked some weeds out of their life from time to time. And maybe by God's good graces, you've actually, you know, we say, help bring someone to the Lord. And guess what? Sometimes you get to do all of them. But you've got to be ready 
for when that blessing comes along in life. Just as there are lean times, guess what? There are some really great times as far as being a Christian. One of my favorite sports movies is Fields of Dreams. Uh, That's still kind of on my bucket list to go to Dyersville, Iowa, to go to that field and just stand out there and watch the guys come out of the corn. Uh, But, you know, a lot of churches and a lot of individuals are prone to say, you maybe remember this quote from the movie, when they come, we will build it. When they come, we will build it. In other words, I'm going to start getting ready for the harvest when the harvest gets here. Uh, The fact is that a lot of churches, quite honestly, are not prepared whatsoever for increased attendance. You ever think about that? They're not the least bit prepared for more people. Let me ask you this question. Would you like to have more people here? Some of you go, man, some of you are like, hmm. Are they going to sit in my seat? (laughs) They're just not prepared. They would have no idea what to do if suddenly a whole bunch of new people suddenly showed up. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping that we continue to do to be ready for that. Now, there's all kinds of ways you can do that. I mean, the same could be said about a lot of businesses. They'd love to have a lot of business, but they'd be totally unprepared if suddenly all these customers showed up. Now, the one nice thing about this place before I kind of get off this, you know, you've already you've got wonderful facilities. You can take a whole lot more people. But maybe you need to think about what you're going to do with them when they actually get here. And that's why you you plan ahead and you say, wow, what if we had 25 kids on a Sunday morning? Are we ready to do something with Sunday school rather than inflict all 25 of of them upon some unsuspecting grandma? (laughs) And by the way, it won't be my wife. Um, She'd help you. Maybe she would. You know, we think the harvest of abundance is just something you receive. When it's something you, you know, something you respond to when it happens. Uh, But you have to prepare for the harvest just like you prepare for the winter season. I mean, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, boy, if I suddenly won a million dollars. And they tell you what to do. Uh, When I walked into the gas station this morning uh, in North Richland Hills, it had a sign on the door. That said, get your ticket now. It's, uh, the next thing is $168 million. I think, I don't know what, what you call it. And lo and behold, you go in and you, you're buying two cups of coffee and you have to stand behind somebody who's forking over about $40 on lottery tickets that I have no idea what they are. Scratch this, sniff this, uh, tear this, poke this. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with one if somebody handed it to me. But, you know, the guy ahead, he said, well, I sure hope I... I sure hope I win this. He's man, the things I'd do if I had this money. And I felt I, what I really should have said, tapped, I said, oh, by the way, this afternoon, I got a sermon on being prepared for the winter. But you heard that. Yeah, if I suddenly had a million dollars, boy, I'd start supporting this charity. I'd support this charity. Uh, now, I know their intentions are good, but I'd be inclined to say that if you're not really very generous with your money today, chances are you won't be very generous if you win the lottery. In fact, speaking of the lottery, it's also interesting that the majority of winners, guess what? End up broke within a matter of years. Now, why is it? It's because they were not prepared for this sudden influx of money. 
It came in. They had no plan. They had no priorities. They, they had no idea what to do. Now, that's not limited to lottery winners. A very successful businessman one time said, watch out for the windfall. If you're not prepared, it can put you out of business. Now, what I'm saying is that God wants to bless you and me. God desires to bless this church, and he will. He will. There's no doubt about it. So what do we do? We prepare ourselves and position ourselves for the outpouring of God's blessings right now. I mean, just think about it. What if God doubled your income tomorrow? Would you be ready to handle the increase? Uh, would you be already know how much you need to invest or how much you need to save or how much to give? Or you just say, wow, look at all this money. I can't wait till I get to Walmart. Or maybe you're a little more uppity and you go to Target. I don't know. Uh, or if God suddenly gave you the job of your dreams, are you ready for it? Uh, have you prepared... For the blessing that God wants to put into your life by sowing it today at your current job or your current uh, seeds of dedication, effort, commitment, all that kind of stuff. Now, I've run into a lot of people, too, who say, when I get the job of my dreams, then I'll finally give it 100%. Well, that's the kind of I'll get ready for the harvest after it comes in mentality. It rarely works. Before we can reap the harvest, we need to prepare for the harvest. God wants to bless us. I can't say that up. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless Nancy and I as a family. He wants to bless your family. He wants to bless your children. He wants to bless this church. But kind of interestingly, God is going to bless you as soon as he can. Now think about that. He's going to bless you as soon as he can. Now by this I mean he'll bless you when you get ready. When you prepare yourself and position yourself for God's blessings. Now, you, you can build on that spiritual principle. In order to get down on the big things, guess what? You need to learn how to deal with the little things. You may remember this passage, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Isn't that interesting? I mean, what's the, what's he talking about? He's talking about preparing your heart. He's talking about preparing your soul. He's preparing your life for the blessings that God wants to send your way. So what I'm saying, friends, is just based on these few words, this ant in Proverbs, you can't get ready for winter in the middle of January. Neither can you prepare for the abundance of harvest that God wants to pour out in your life when the harvest has already arrived and the fruit is falling off the tree. You need to look through the corners of your life every day and consider what you need to do to prepare yourself both for the winter times and for the harvest times. Now, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Think winter all summer and think harvest all year long. I mean, think winter all summer in every area of your life. God would suggest that we think about how we can prepare today for the days that might be less than abundant for one reason or another. Whether that applies to your finances, your health, or relationships, or most importantly, your spiritual life. But then, in addition to thinking winter all summer, think harvest all year long. You know, when the harvest comes, you know, if you're prepared, it'd be interesting what happens. 
I went to visit Reggie this last week in the hospital. That was my purpose for going there. As I left and I walked to the elevator and I pushed the button to go down, I was standing there minding my own business when I heard, and I turned around and this lady was snuffling. And I said, are you okay? And she said, no, not really. And I said, is there anything I can do to help? And she didn't know. And I said, I know one thing I can do. I can pray for you. And so we stood there in that hallway, and I prayed for her. Now, I'm not telling you that she wasn't already a believer. I'm not telling you that I led her to Christ. But, you know, if you're prepared to do those things, when God brings the harvest, you can handle it. Don't have to worry about those particular times. I mean, every day prepare yourself in such a way that you'll always be in the position to reap God's blessings. I mean, that lady blessed my life. I mean, I was there to bless somebody else's life by doing what pastors are supposed to do, make hospital calls. I stepped on the elevator, and the first person I see is an old gentleman with a walker. A pair of pants on that look like they're made out of an American flag and stars and stripes on the top and a U.S. Army hat. And I said, well, I salute you. Thanks for your service. And then he began to tell me about his little ministry, and he gave me a card. And he's got a car, a little, maybe you've seen it around if you're in Weatherford. It's a Volkswagen Beetle that looks like a flag. And we began to talk about his ministry that's grown out of some problems in his life. And he blessed me. That's a little bit of preparing for the harvest. I mean, God wants to bless you in, in strange ways like that, little ways like that. See, it comes down to a simple question that you ask yourself each and every morning and throughout every day. Is what I'm doing today making me better prepared for what lies ahead, both winter and harvest? And I guess I would tell you that if the ant can do it, you can do it. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for even what seem like little messages from like a little thing, like an ant. Lord, teach us to think winter all summer, to plant our roots deep in you, in your word, so that we'll be prepared when the winter times of our life do come. But prepare us also to think about harvest all year long, because each and every day you want to shower a blessing upon us whether it be in our family or as we minister to someone else, whether they bless us, whatever that harvest may be. And each and every day, Lord, may we look in that mirror and the first thing in the morning and ask ourselves, what are we going to do today to better prepare us for what lies ahead? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.